Today on the Blue Bloods, we finally moved up in the podcasting world and we have our first guest. John Kurtz, the host of the game on KMAN in Manhattan, Kansas, is joining us to talk about Kansas State and Oklahoma State this week in our Pick 6 segment. Uh, we also have our Upset of the Week, Storyline of the Week, Heisman Watch, and we'll cap it off with Brandon's Gambling Corner. Uh, this is probably our biggest show to date, so let's go ahead and get it started. So this weekend, uh, we're going to start out our pick six seg- uh, segment with Texas Tech, Oklahoma. Um, this is in Oklahoma, uh, and Oklahoma comes in as a 27-point favorite. Uh, I'm picking Oklahoma for obvious reasons, but uh, what's your take on this sec? Yeah, I'm taking Oklahoma as well, and I think they have a very, very good chance of covering as well. Uh, they're a 27-point favorite, but does anyone really expect Texas Tech to really compete for this game? No, um, I don't think so. I think Texas Tech is, I mean, they're not a great team. Um, you know, we've seen the resume to this point. They haven't really played, you know, too many teams. They, they dropped a game to Arizona. Um, and, I mean, besides that, they haven't had any real competition. So, uh, Oklahoma comes in with, you know, one of the most explosive offenses in the nation, uh, you know, led by Jalen Hurts, who's just – going to be the absolute X factor. I mean, if there's an X factor in any of these games, it's going to be Jalen Hurts. Um, you know, and he I, – I don't, I don't see Oklahoma leaving this game without scoring at least 40 points. I agree. I've first teamed to 50 wins, and I think nine times out of ten, Oklahoma is going to get to 51st. It's like 11 times and out of ten. That's what I'm saying, and Oklahoma is averaging 676 yards per game. That doesn't – like, I don't care if they were playing high school teams. That should not happen. No, I mean, not in a million years. Uh, one thing I did want to touch on, and um, I know it might, may seem like I'm a degenerate, uh, like I'm a gambler. I promise you I'm not. Uh, I retired a little while ago. Um, don't like losing, and that's all I did. And so – I did want to touch on this. I think it may be a little bit crazy that Texas Tech comes into this game. You know, if you're betting on them to win outright, you have plus 1,300 odds on that. Um, that's like if Alabama played Southern Miss, you'd have those same odds. It, this isn't – I mean, and Texas Tech is an in-conference opponent. Um, how is that allowed? I mean, I get that Texas Tech isn't a great team, but come on. Um, you know, and I'll, I'll, I'll wrap this little part up by saying that if you're in a bind, maybe drop some money on Texas Tech money line. If they win, then you might be out of that bind. And, you know, like I always say, it's always best to solve one problem <laughs> with another problem. Great advice from Brandon. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, I think for Texas Tech to have a shot, their defense has to stop Oklahoma two to three times because I don't know if Oklahoma's defense can stop Texas Tech per se, which is why I'm not sure if Oklahoma covers this spread. They have the ability to, but 
their defense is going to have to make some stops. And Texas Tech's offense isn't terrible, uh, averaging over 500 yards per game as well. I I just think I think this is just going to be your typical big Big Twelve game where one team has 50, 60 points and the other team has probably thirty or forty. Uh, I just I don't see many defensive stops happening in this game. No, not at all. Um, it's you know, like you said, neither one of these teams have a great defense. Um, we haven't looked too entirely much at Texas Tech this season, so we we obviously know a little bit more about Oklahoma, but we you know they have like negative defense, so uh, that kind of yeah, makes I up mean, for both but, of them. Yeah, both defenses are giving up 300 yards per game, over 300 yards per game, and Oklahoma's given up over 350 per game. That's tough. And they, uh, Bad luck. They, they have not pl- they have not played a very good schedule. Even though even though UCLA scored 67 last weekend might have helped their case a little bit, I still just think this defense is overall just a terrible defense, and they're just going to have to outscore everyone they play. Yeah, that's true. But, you know, as long as Oklahoma's dropping 50 points on everyone they play, they're not going to drop any games until they play, you know, some serious competition. Yeah, no doubt. And – I mean, Jalen Hurts has the chance to pad his stats. You have a defense that's given up over 300 yards per game. Go ahead and take that Hosman. Uh, he's already kind of behind other Hosman contenders because their schedule isn't very strong, and he had a bye week already. So his stats aren't looking as high as some other people. Someone like Joe Burrow, who's had an extra week to play. So Jalen Hurts has to play catch up in that regard. And I think this is the game where he can put up just outrageous NCAA, you know, video game stats, where he can he can put himself back in that conversation. Just running for six touchdowns a game, throwing for twelve. Uh, let's go ahead and move on from that. Uh, our next matchup of the weekend is going to be USC visiting Washington. Uh, Washington comes into this one as a ten point favorite. Uh, this one's at two thirty on Saturday, so for once we do see a Pac-12 game in the daylight. Yeah. Um, so in my notes, I have Jacob Eason finally gets his moment to shine. He had a lot of you know primetime games, chances to play on national TV when he was at Georgia. Well, here's his chance with the Washington Huskies. Um, his first year here after transferring from uh, University of Georgia. And he's had a heck of a year, over 1,000 yards passing, 10 touchdowns. And I think he's the X factor this game. As we all know, USC has just endless quarterbacks, it seems like. Uh, JT Daniels has already lost for the year. Keaton Slovis, as, as of today, has still not been cleared to practice, which means he is also most likely out of this game. And I, I don't see, you know, a third-string quarterback, fourth-string quarterback, if everything goes, you know, to plan for USC, I guess. I don't see someone like that beating Jacob Eason and this Washington team. They've looked pretty impressive this year outside of a, you know, weird loss to Cal. But Cal looks really good. Cal is a ranked undefeated team. So I think this Washington team is really, really good. And I think they, I think they beat USC and they covered the 10.5-point spread. I definitely uh, – they won't cover the spread um, if if they do win. I have USC winning this game. Uh, you know, like I said on the last episode, when it comes to quarterbacks named Matt, especially USC quarterbacks named Matt, uh, Matt Fink, it, things are just looking up for him. Uh, he has to win this game. It's part of his destiny. Uh, 
you know, I, I will agree with you when you say that Washington dropped this game to Cal. Uh, Cal's a decent team. I mean, they're, I think they're, no, they're not the highest ranked in the Pac-12, but they are a ranked team in the Pac-12, the only undefeated team in the Pac-12, uh, and they dropped the game by a point. I mean, I mean, I don't know who all saw that game, who was up in the early morning, so that early hours in the morning uh, watching this one. But, I mean, it was a very close game, a game that Washington definitely could have won. Uh, but I think this USC team is just, you know, way too talented. Uh, and this doesn't even come at quarterback for me. I mean, this this is mainly a product of Michael Pittman Jr. Um, USC's just star wide receiver. I mean, all Matt Fink has to do is throw the ball in the air and he's going to grab it. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to argue with you on that one. I think Michael Pittman is a monster, but – I think it's really going to come down to USC's defense. Uh, they're allowing 421 yards per game and 24 points per game. Uh, Washington's offense is really, really good, averaging almost 500 yards per game and putting up over 40. I just I don't see USC getting the amount of stops that they need to win this game. And I think Washington just starts pulling away late in the second half as you know fatigue sets in and everything. Plus, to be fair, Husky Stadium isn't the easiest place to play. And with this game being at 2.30, you know, I I still think the fans are going to show up. Uh, I think they're going to relish being on national TV at 2.30 with with the whole country watching. I think Washington comes out here and makes a statement. Yeah, I don't don't know where you got that bit about about Husky Stadium not being easy to play in. Um, I've never once heard a tip about about playing at University of Washington being <laughs> difficult, you know, you're not, we're not talking about, we're not talking about uh, the big house here. We're not talking about either one of the death valleys. You know, we're, I mean, we're talking about Washington right now, but okay. I mean, I'll I didn't say it. it was, I didn't say it was death Valley, but I, I would still put it probably top 25 of one of the better oh. atmospheres. Uh, uh, I want to see the list. That is what? That is, okay. <laughs> I want to see the all list. season, guys. Okay, during the all season, we will have an episode where we rank the top twenty-five stadiums in college football for you guys. It is going to be the worst but best episode of y'all's lives, and I will make sure Brandon understands why Washington's in the top twenty-five. Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be a uh, it's gonna be a paradox, <laughs> really. Um, I think USC wins this game. Uh, I'll end it off with that. They win the game, but Washington loses it late. I think Washington leads the whole game, and then uh, maybe USC comes through at the end. I think they're way too hot off of this Utah. Okay, Zach. All right, we'll we'll see. Um, (laughs) 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 All right, let's continue. Um, So our third matchup of the weekend, uh, we've got Virginia and Notre Dame. Um, Notre Dame comes into this one as a 12.5-point favorite. Uh, You know, We all saw Notre Dame play this past weekend against Georgia. Um, so they've dropped one game on the season. Virginia comes in this one undefeated. Yeah, Virginia does come in undefeated. I don't think it's a very strong undefeated, I guess, schedule. No, it's I mean, definitely they, undeserved. I mean, they beat Pitt, and we saw what Pitt did to UCF and how close they played Penn State. But they beat Florida State at home, which that's not saying much. And then they beat William & Mary and – Old Dominion, what a tough schedule. But they were losing uh, to Old Dominion most of this game. Like last, this Old, past Old Dominion was putting it on them. It was like 17 to nothing or something like that. I halftime, mean, yeah. Yeah, I, I just – I think Virginia is extremely underrated. I think the ACC outside of Clemson is extremely overrated. I think it's a terrible conference this year. I don't know about overrated. And, They're just bad. 
Yeah, they're terrible. I mean, Virginia carries the ACC's hopes of having, I guess, a decent national presence or national picture, but I think Virginia gets slaughtered in this game. I think Notre Dame comes out here and they have a point to prove after slipping up to Georgia, slipping up at Georgia last week. They only lost by six points to Georgia, but I think they're going to have a chip on their shoulder the rest of the year. And I think Ian Book is going to show the nation why he is a quarterback to be reckoned with. And I think he has a huge game. Yeah, he'll have a huge game. Um, and not to mention Notre Dame's defense, they're going to have a huge game. Um, I, I mean, they they really held Georgia, uh, you know, to only 23 points. Uh, I mean, you, you just – teams can't usually do that. Uh, this is a good defense that comes out when they need to. Um, you know, they did give up 17 points to Louisville. Uh, they were losing to Louisville for a little bit in that game. But, I mean, I don't see Notre Dame losing this game, uh, even if they are playing an undefeated appointment, uh, opponent in Virginia. I mean, Virginia's been, you know, in the pit game, they were losing at halftime. Versus Old Dominion, they were losing at halftime. They edged out Florida State by one touchdown, and then they played William & Mary. It, uh, yeah, no, I mean, and it's still – 18 in the country. I've got a real gripe with this. <laughs> I mean, it's still so early in the – I guess in the season. Like, you don't know what a lot of teams are made of. A lot of teams have played a really crappy schedule. And at this point, I mean, the undefeated teams deserve to be ranked, but they're going to start falling off here. I think there's a – the top 25 is plagued with cupcake teams, and I think they're going to start getting picked off once they get into real steep conference competition. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, I mean, I don't have too much to say on this game other than Notre Dame's going to win this game. They're going to cover the spread. The spread's 12-and-a-half. It's going to be a two-touchdown game. I completely agree. They'll cover, and the fact this game's in, I guess, South Bend makes it even worse because I think those fans are going to want to come out and support this team after the great effort they put forth in Athens. Yeah, uh, and – um, I'll go ahead and call my shot here. Uh, I don't think this is a high-scoring game. Um, I think the most that either team scores is 21 points, and that's going to be Notre Dame. So Notre Dame either holds Virginia to a touchdown or a field goal or nothing at all. Uh, let's go ahead and move on from this one. Uh, our next game is Ohio State at Nebraska, and Nebraska comes in as a 17-point dog. Uh, I think they should probably come in as like a 30-point dog. Nebraska is terrible. Ohio State <laughs> with Justin Fields is just – I mean, they haven't played anybody, but come on. I mean, Nebraska isn't anybody. Yeah, uh, I, I think this is the, the the big statement Ohio State fans have been looking for. I, I think, you know, still there's some people in the media that consider Notre uh, – not Notre Dame, my bad – Nebraska a quality win. And – I think Ohio State's going to come out here and make a statement. They're going to want to beat this team by 30, 40 points and say, we went on the road to a a great environment and Lincoln, and we dominated this team. And I think the voters are going to eat that up, especially with some teams up there near the top still not playing quality opponents. I think Ohio State's going to come in here and make a huge statement. Absolutely. Um, I mean – and they they come into this game playing Nebraska, and you know who's Nebraska played this season? Well, they played South Alabama, and they won by two touchdowns. But they played South Alabama. They played Colorado, lost in overtime, 
Northern Illinois, blew Northern Illinois out, but this isn't Northern Illinois from 2009 that we're talking about. This is Northern Illinois in 2019, who's just a no-name team. Uh, and then they barely edged out a game against uh, Illinois last week. Yeah, they beat them 42-38. This is not yeah. a good team. I, they're 3-1, and one, but they're 3-1 and one off of some bull crap because this is <laughs> – I don't, I don't understand. I mean, to be fair, guys, it's what the point Brand is trying to make is South Alabama got beat by Memphis 42-6. to six, It was and then embarrassing. Got be- and they got beat by UAB, which in case you guys didn't know, UAB just had a football program for, what, the second year in a row after they were shut down and yeah, got beat 35-3. Yeah. to three. So South Alabama it might be the worst team on their schedule by a mile, and they barely pulled it out because, I mean, South dropped a pick six late. In, I think it was like late in the first half and almost took that back. I watched some of this game. Nebraska has not looked good this year. But also, Scott Frost needs a signature win. Those fans are not going to take, you know, mediocrity for very long. He came in with super high expectations coming out of UCF. And these Nebraska fans are looking to have a statement win and to be in that college football playoff conversation. So this mediocre, these mediocre performances that he's putting out is not going to last very long. No, I agree with you 100% there. I mean, these these fans are not going to put up with it. They're going to get rid of Scott Frost. I mean, if he – I understand that he's 3-1, and one, but he's 3-1 and one before conference play. So, now he's playing Ohio State. He's going to get exposed – or this team's going to get exposed for the team it truly is. I, I just don't understand the people that had Nebraska as their dark horse to win the Big Ten this year. I mean, I heard that left and right this, uh, this offseason. They thought their odds. What was that? Their their odds to win the national championship were higher than Auburn's, and I believe, I believe like Florida and also Wisconsin. So like three top ten teams right now had less like had less of odds to win the national championship than Nebraska. Yeah, it's ridiculous. I mean, people came in riding the coattails of Maurice Washington, who's their sophomore running back, and this man has one touchdown this season. One touchdown. <laughs> this is the guy that you thought was going to lead Nebraska to a Big Ten conference title? I don't know, man. This is just – and we're not professionals. I mean, we just started this podcast this year, but we're smarter than that. <laughs> and to be fair, um, the matchup to watch <laughs> – the matchup to watch is Nebraska's defense versus OSU's offense – Nebraska's defense is giving up almost 500 yards per game. Yeah, they're Four, bums. Yeah, 400 yards per game. My, my bad, guys. 400 yards per game. Same that thing. is terrible. And Ohio State comes in putting up 530 yards per game. And 53 points per game is what this Ohio State team's scoring. And they come in with Justin Fields, who has 13 passing touchdowns, and J.K. Dobbins, which has an argument to be the best running back in the country. This one's going to get ugly, guys. Justin Fields it's, hasn't even played a full game, Zach. They take him out every <laughs> single game. He's thrown le- He's thrown for less than 100 passes. Uh, he's so good. As, yeah, I think, in case you guys don't know, I have Ohio State winning. I have Ohio State covering. I have Ohio State winning by as many as you want to bet. <laughs> Just the, What's the biggest number you can think of? Because that's how many points they score. 
Go to your calculator, close your eyes, and type for a few minutes. I'll bet you they'll win by that much. Minutes. Yeah, th- this game was even going to be close. Uh, let's go ahead and move on uh, to our last game that we're going to do uh, before our interview. We have Washington State at Utah. Um, Washington State, sorry, Utah comes into this one as a favorite. Uh, five and a half points. Um, this is the same Utah team that lost to USC last week. Playing against the Washington State team that lost to UCLA, I don't know if they have problems with you know, the city of Los Angeles or if they – I don't know what it is. I, I think I know what it was for Washington State. I think Mike Leach was you know, in Nevada for the, uh, for the Area 51 raid, but I don't, I don't know what the Utah – I don't know what the Utah, listen, uh, Utah coach's excuse was. No, listen. This game right here, all we need to talk about, if the Ute – Traded in for a rifle, this game will not even be close. Utah by a 1,000. But personally, I don't think he has a rifle, so I, I think the Cougar pulls this one out. Yeah, he's crafty. <laughs> in case you guys didn't listen to our last episode, go check out the Storyline of the Week segment from our preview episode last week and listen to Mike Leach talk about which Pac-12 mascot will win in a battle. It is college football media gold, uh, so definitely go check that out. But – uh, for honestly, I have Washington State winning this game by double digits. Uh, I don't think this one's super close. I don't think Utah's defense is going to slow down this Washington State team. We saw what uh, USC did to him last week with the third string quarterback. Anthony Gordon has already thrown for almost 2,000 yards and has 21 touchdowns. He is going to throw for another 900 yards and nine touchdowns the way this Utah team. <laughs> you know, gave up last week against USC. That is really the only reason I'm picking Washington State. I just think they outscore Utah. Utah is a is a really good team. I just don't think they have the ability to score 60, and I think Washington State will score 60 every single week this year with the offense that they have. Yeah, these, uh, these numbers that we're getting from Anthony Gordon are just absurd. I mean, he's passed for 1,900 yards this season in four <laughs> games. And, and what you say? You said nine touchdowns against UCLA last weekend. Yes, that's insane. He has twenty-one touchdowns on the season already. Uh, this man's going to break a record. I don't know what record. I guess the throwing touchdowns against one of the worst teams in college football record, <laughs> and uh, still losing. Uh, yeah, I, I don't even know, man. It, it doesn't even seem like it should be real to even have those type of stats already. I mean, that that just blows my mind. And the crazy part is their leading receiver in yards only has one touchdown. He's just spreading it out. Eight different people have touchdowns. And one person has eight touchdowns, and he's not even their <laughs> leading receiver. Gosh. Uh, that, that just doesn't even – that doesn't make any sense. I think – I really think Mike Leach won't let this team have a letdown after, you know, a tough week last week. And I think they're going to come in with extra motivation. And I think he's going to let Anthony Gordon just air it out and Utah won't be able to keep up. So Washington State by double digits and Mike in another beautiful Mike Leach press conference after the game is my prediction. Yeah, um, I would have paid an undisclosed amount of money uh, to be able to be in the locker room this week with Washington State, just to hear the things that Mike Leach was saying to this team after they lost to UCLA. I don't know how Mike Leach encourages his teams. Uh, I have to imagine it's probably the most hilarious thing I've ever heard. Um, I don't know. 
it's got to be something, right? I mean, how do you go into the locker room and look at your quarterback in the eyes who just threw nine touchdowns and tell him it's okay that you'll fix it next week? I just wouldn't um, have talked. I just wouldn't have talked to my defense. Like the defense, I'm, I'm, I would have, I would have disowned them. Put the whole defense in the transfer portal. Just put, just <laughs> stick it in the transfer portal. What? You, you can have the Miami Dolphins defense. <laughs> it might be better by by hair. Uh, it's just, I mean, you have to do better than that. Your quarterback can't throw for nine touchdowns and you lose the game. No, that's ridiculous. Um, so I've got. I also have Washington State winning this game. Um, I think it's a little bit closer than double digits. I, I think it may be a touchdown game just because um, if Zach's taught me anything on this podcast, it's that Utah has a good defense. Uh, he's stuck by it. Uh, but honestly, they really do have a pretty decent defense. Uh, I mean, they've only, they've only <laughs> have game. So I, I think that they, I think they keep it close, but it, yeah, State edges. I don't, I don't have the amazing quality of Brandon where I stick by my picks. My, I fluctuate each week depending on the information. Um, as we've stated, Brandon's the heart guy. I'm the analytical guy. And there's new, there's new data every week. So my opinion is going to fluctuate. Brandon only has one heart. So his opinion is he's going to stick by him for you. I sure am. So you're the analytics guy. Does that mean that you run the calculus account that has our name? Because I've got, I've got a few listen, words. Listen, listen, listen. We will get to that in another segment later in this episode. We will have a bone to pick with that calculus account, but we yeah, will get back to that. We're coming at you. Watch out. Hey, we already went to Apple Podcasts. We already went to, to Apple. I mean, we're not afraid of you. All right, let's go. That, 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 that's enough of that. Um, let's go ahead and continue. Uh, <laughs> all right, and for our final pick in our pick six segment today, we have John Kurtz, uh, host of the game on KMAN in Manhattan, Kansas. Uh, thanks for joining us, John. Absolutely, guys. Anytime. All right, so we, for our final matchup, we have Kansas State visiting Oklahoma State at 6 p.m. on Saturday. Um, this is a very strong Kansas State defense going against an overpowered Oklahoma State offense. Uh, Zach, do you have any thoughts on this game? Uh, what's your prediction? What's your uh, at the spread? Everything. Yeah, so right now Oklahoma State comes in about a four, five-point favorite. Uh, personally, as much as I'll be rooting for K-State to win, I still think Oklahoma State pulls this one out. With it being such a close spread, I do think they cover. But I just – I think it's going to be a – Pretty close game throughout the whole throughout the game, but I just think Oklahoma State has too many big playmakers for K State to keep up toward the end. Right, and obviously we have uh, we have John Kurtz here, and so can we hear a little bit of your input on this game? Yeah, I think uh, I, I wouldn't disagree too much with that analysis of it. I, I thought it was interesting how the the line opened up at seven or seven and a half, and it, it shot down pretty quickly to you know, around four and a half where it seems to have settled right now. So it, it seemed like a lot of people really felt like that spread was too high. And I do expect a close game. Um, I think this will be the toughest test K-State's had this year. I think uh, both in environment and in terms of the team that they're playing. You know, going to Starkville, um, I was there for that game. And I, I don't mean to demean the Mississippi State atmosphere at all, but I think it was hurt by the fact it was an 11 o'clock game and the heat index was in the triple digits and that hurt attendance uh, somewhat. And so it was not quite the intimidating atmosphere that I was anticipating. I've been to Boone Pickens Stadium many times for day games and night games, and that place really gets rocking at night. I think it's the second loudest atmosphere in the Big 12 next to Oklahoma. So that will be a step up for K-State, and I think the, the skill position talent – 
at uh, Oklahoma State is better. Uh, I think Spencer Sanders, honestly, has shown more than what Mississippi State has at quarterback. I think Chuba Hubbard is in the same caliber of running back as Kylan Hill that K-State saw and did a pretty good job against um, in Starkville in that game. And then, you know, the thing that uh, Oklahoma State has that Mississippi State does not, obviously, is Tylen Wallace, who is an incredible playmaker and Bolitnikoff uh, finalist from last year at receiver. So it'll be difficult for K-State. I think uh, the key is going to be can the Wildcats continue to dominate time of possession and utilize the ground game to keep the ball out of the hands of that Oklahoma State offense as much as possible. And that, that to me, will be the big question. I know Oklahoma State has been vulnerable at times to pushing the ball down the field and, and throwing the football. I don't know if that's really K-State's strength at this point. Obviously, the run game is. So I feel like it'll be a close game. These two teams have played some pretty entertaining close games in, in Stillwater over the years, and uh, I think we're in for another one. Right, and it's, it's always fun to see these in-conference games, especially when, I mean, you get Kansas State, who comes into this game undefeated and ranked. And personally, I can't remember the last time that Kansas State started out 3-0. and um, Very great team, very strong defense. I mean, they're allowing less than 13 points a game. Uh, I mean, but it's not only their defense. They're putting up 44 points on average every single game. So um, it, it's definitely going to be a, a, an interesting matchup. Um, I'd love to see how their defense holds against Chuba Howard, like you mentioned. Uh, I mean, he has nearly 700 yards rushing on the season, nine touchdowns. Uh, and Spencer Sanders, I mean, everything he throws up, uh, we see Tylen Wallace just going and grabbing. I mean, it, it's almost unfair <laughs> to, to the defensive backs. Um, but if K-State's defense can hold on, I, I can see them pulling this one out. And that's why I have them chosen as uh, my pick to win this game. Yeah, and I think Skylar Thompson's going to have to have a big game. Uh, I think this K-State offense needs him to play his best game of the year. I don't think they're going to be able to lean on the running game as much as they have been in previous matchups. So if K-State wins this game, it's going to be because Skylar Thompson stepped up and had a huge game. Absolutely. I actually, yeah, I actually really agree with that, that point. Um, I think – now, Skylar Thompson has been fantastic. Um, the sheer run numbers don't bear that out. But after three weeks, after that Mississippi State game, he was pro football focuses, number one graded quarterback in the country, ahead of Joe Burrow, um, ahead of Jalen Hurts, any other big-name quarterback you want to throw out there. They love the way that he has been playing. I think the, the biggest limiting factor there and what gives me pause on that going into this game is just K-State's receiving core. Outside of Malik Knowles, I, I don't know that they have a lot of quality depth at wide receiver right now, and that – that hurts some, and that puts more impetus on Skylar Thompson to be able to make plays. Um, I think he's a stud. I think he is really blossoming into a fantastic quarterback. It's just going to be a matter of how much can those skill position weapons hold up for him. Yeah. Do Do you think his confidence has been helped by not have by not having to split time with another quarterback? Because I know we've seen, you know, especially last year, there was a lot of time split with um, Alex Delton before he transferred. I mean, do you think that boosted his confidence and has really helped his performance this year? 100%. Um, I, I think that's been the biggest difference. Uh, last year, and he's talked a lot about it, that last year was very tough on him, not just from a uh, the standpoint of being pulled out of games, but even just mentally what that was doing to him as a, as a quarterback and a person on and off the field. Um, I think the whole team went through some of that, honestly, with the way uh, things were being run under the, the previous regime. So he's the poster child for really the infusion of energy that, that Chris Kleiman has given this program and just a totally different style than what Bill Snyder was, as opposed to the 
you know, disciplinarian. You're going to do it this way because I said so. Chris Kleiman is much more of a player's coach. He wants to empower his players to go out and make plays, give them more freedom to make mistakes. And uh, for Skylar Thompson, it has just made a world of difference. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, because I, I was at a few games last year, and I could just tell that it, it seemed to change the whole energy of the offense and all the momentum when they would switch quarterbacks. It would, and it would just seem to be random, in my opinion, where it was just like Snyder just felt like Alex Delton should be in for a certain few plays. And it just it just seemed to really, really hold back K-State's offense last year, in, in my opinion. Yeah, and I don't want to run down Alex Delton because he, he was a very good kid and was always great with us in the media. But I think what's happened this year really tells you all you need to know about what the two quarterbacks are as college quarterbacks. Alex Delton went to TCU where he has a better wide receiver, certainly, and Jalen Rager than anything Skylar Thompson has right now. Um, he had Phil Steele's number one offensive line in the Big 12 at TCU, and he has a couple very good running backs. Uh, that were better than what K-State had inherited when Chris Kleiman took over. And, and Alex Delton hasn't been able to take that job away from a true freshman and Max Duggan, who's still obviously uh, very, very raw and very green. And we're seeing what Skylar Thompson's done after three weeks. So uh, I think it's pretty clear who the better quarterback was. It was a weird, bizarre deal last year. But I'm just glad that right now Skylar, uh, who's another just great guy and a great leader for this team, is, is getting a chance to flourish. Absolutely. Um and John, I wanted to see if there were any key players for Kansas State in this game. Um, you know, if they if they were to go to Oklahoma State, upset this team, is there one key player or a few key players that you think are going to uh, lead this charge? I think offensively, I really look to you know Malik Knowles has been the guy to make big plays in the passing game, but I think they need somebody else to step up. Whether that's Dalton Schoen, who has had some big play ability in the past in his career, or uh, if it's going to be a younger guy, Josh Youngblood is a, a player that there was a lot of talk about in the preseason as a true freshman at receiver that hasn't been used much. Maybe the bye week was a chance for him to get more involved in the offense. And honestly, I would I would pinpoint Jordan Brown as well, who is uh, one of the three running backs that K-State's used quite a bit. But he is a guy that's been built up as a big-time weapon in the passing game. He's only caught three passes for 36 yards so far this year. But we were talking with Brian Anderson, K-State's running backs coach, yesterday, and he said – they're just scratching the surface right now of what Jordan Brown can do in the passing game. So I think if they can get another weapon to step up in the passing game, um, that, that will be huge uh, for Skylar Thompson and company. And on defense, I really think it's, it's K-State's defensive line that is going to need to do a good job again. They were great against Mississippi State without their best player, Wyatt Hubert, who didn't play. Uh, I'll actually say Jordan Mitty and Trey Deshaun – the two interior defensive linemen, the D tackles, who have been great so far this year for K-State, will have to be great again um, to slow down Chuba Hubbard the way that they did Kylan Hill. Kylan Hill got 100 yards, but he did it the hard way, and K-State held him to just over four yards per carry. I think you would take that in a heartbeat um, if you could with Kylan Hill, so um, or with Chuba Hubbard, that is. So I, I would tell you those guys, I know that's a handful of players, but that's kind of where I see the key matchups on both sides of the ball. Absolutely. Uh, Zach, did you have any questions before we wrap up? Yeah. So, um, you know, we're going to change gears just a little bit. So w what is your perception of the future of K-State football with Chris Kleiman? And what are your kind of expectations for this football team moving forward as they go into, a, I guess, a new chapter in the history of their football program? Yeah, I mean, I'm very high on Chris Kleiman. I, I was in the 
majority of K-State fans that wasn't crazy about the idea at first. Um, but once you had a chance to, to get to know him and his ideas and see what he was doing on the recruiting trail early on, it was pretty clear that he and his staff really know what they're doing. Um, I, I think in the short term, I've been more cautious about how high the expectation bar should be for this year, even though they have played so well through three games as well as anybody could have reasonably hoped. Um, I, I still worry about them being a key injury or two away from the season changing pretty drastically. Um, but if they win this game against Oklahoma State, they, they will have the inside track at third place in the Big 12 um, based on how soft the middle of the Big 12 looks right now in case they gets basically every other competitor in the middle of the Big 12 at home the rest of the season. So, you know, I think they could, if things break well, be in store for an eight, maybe nine win season. But I have kept my expectation more at, hey, go six and six, seven and five this year. I, I would be thrilled with the way things are going. Yeah, Chris Kleiman's made a, a real impact on the recruiting trail so far. The recruiting has already moved up a notch or two from where it was um, under Bill Snyder. And I think it's just going to continue to get better and better because I, I got the impression a lot of recruits including a lot of very good recruits in the state of Kansas. Uh, there was a pretty big, good class of D1 prospects in the state of Kansas for 2020. A lot of those kids seem to be in wait-and-see mode, and it's just hard to sell your program when you are coming from the FCS ranks and haven't put anything on the field so far. I think what they've put on the field so far is going to start being the tipping point to, to getting a lot more momentum on the recruiting trail, and I think the sky's the limit. Um, I, I think he could be a very, very good coach at, at K-State for a long time. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I'm with you I'm on the Chris Common train. I think he has a chance to do huge things here. And just the final wrap-up question is, how much did his recruiting and his presence and, I guess, the energy he injected into the football program, because I can see it in the players, I can see it in the fans, the whole community has been injected with his energy. How much does that play into the new facilities that they're building for K-State and the upgrades to the stadium and things like that? Yeah, it'll definitely help. I mean, they I was surprised, and I think a lot of people were surprised at the amount of money that they had already raised. I believe it was around $65 or $70 million when they announced the new facility enhancements, and, and I think that's only going to help. I mean, they basically built the West Stadium Center and the new veneer complex um, on the back of Bill Snyder's run in 2011 and 2012 when they flirted with uh, going to the the national championship game and won 21 games in two years that really helped spearhead uh, that fundraising effort so I think it'll definitely help I think an indoor practice facility is what the, the football program needs the most and uh, they are going to get that they have one right now but it's it's pretty antiquated and it can be a pain to move to and from where they're going uh, so I think it'll help a ton and I think everything right now seems to be pretty synchronized as far as the fan excitement and the player excitement, the program excitement, you have bigger things on the horizon uh, facility-wise to try and keep up with the Joneses, so to speak. So it's a good time right now to be a K-State fan. Things are definitely moving in the right direction. Absolutely. Uh, thank you again for coming on, John. Uh, is there anything you'd like to plug before we wrap this interview up? Yeah, I would just say uh, if you do want more K-State content, um, I do a daily radio show, as you guys mentioned, from 4 to 6 on uh, KMAN, but you can find it on Apple and Google Podcasts. Just search the game, K-M-A-N. Um, I do another podcast called Faithful to Our Colors um, that's with 610 Sports Radio in Kansas City. But again, Apple, Google Podcasts, uh, you can find that there. And then uh, you can catch my YouTube channel as well. It's just John Kurtz on YouTube where I try and put up some videos every week of uh, all the access we get now to players and assistant coaches. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. And uh, 
hopefully we'll speak with you again if Kansas State reaches the Big 12 championship like I think they might. Absolutely. Hey, I would love it. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thank you. All right, and our next segment is going to be upsets of the week. Um, we've been real hot on these, especially myself. And so uh, Zach and I are going to continue to persist through these week in and week out. Zach, you have a better record than I do. I'll let you go ahead and start. Yeah, so I actually have a ranked team going down in my upset of the week. Uh-oh. We don't pick easy upsets of the week in this ep- in, in like our podcast. Brandon might. Brandon's at the spread was two and a half, so it's an upset. That's not how we do it over here. We're, I am going with the Maryland Terrapins upsetting the Penn State Nittany Lions. As, as you guys know, Penn State is the number 12 team in the country. They have to travel to Maryland Stadium in College Park, Maryland, to play a Maryland team that has looked really good for two games and not so good for one. They, they, they scored 79 points and 63 points in their first two games and then got held to 17 against Temple. But they're coming off a of bye week, and I think they fixed their problems. And I think Penn State is one of the most overrated teams in the top 25. I mentioned that there are some teams in the top 25 that suffer from, you know, being a cupcake. Penn State is one of those. They had Idaho, they had Buffalo, and then Pittsburgh all at home. This is their first row game. Their defense is allowing 323 yards per game. And Maryland comes in averaging 53 points per game and 530 yards per game. Maryland is going to beat the Penn State Nittany Lions this this week. And I think it I personally think it's going to be by double digits. Yeah, and I mean, for the sake of all the viewers out there. Let's all hope that Maryland scores 70 points on Penn State. Uh, maybe the most electric thing in the world. I need to see touchdowns. That's where I get my serotonin from. Um, <laughs> that's, how I, that's how I make myself feel good. I just sit down on my couch on Saturdays, watch every single football game, and the more touchdowns, the better. It's what I feed off of. It's what I need for life. <laughs> oh, man. That's, it's amazing. It's relatable. I, like, I, if, I mean, if Maryland puts up 70, like Penn State's not at all. Offense that can put up a super, uh, like a lot of points. If it gets over thirty, Penn State's in trouble. Penn Penn State needs to not allow over thirty points. If it stays under thirty, Penn State has a chance. But Maryland just has such a balanced attack, averaging over two hundred and fifty yards rushing and passing per game, and that that's very very impressive. They're so explosive. Michael Oxley has done a great job with this team, and I just think this is where Penn State goes down. I, I don't think Penn State's a bad team. I think that these both these teams are very, very good, and I just think Maryland has just enough explosion to get past the Penn State team that likes playing these low-scoring, close games. Yeah, I mean, like you said, um, I mean, Penn State put up 17 points against Pitt. Uh, you know, they played Idaho and Buffalo, so they I mean – you know, of course they were going to blow them out, but Pitt loves these small numbers. We learned that from the Sandusky incident. Um, so they're going to score maybe two touchdowns. <laughs> I think. God. I, dude, I, it's ruthless out here. It, it's wild. And so, uh, uh, I mean, if this Maryland defense can hold up to what we know they're capable of uh, and their offense just comes out and is an electric factory again, I mean, it, this could be one of the more fun games to watch. 
Uh, I completely agree. So you guys make sure to check this game out Friday at 7 o'clock. This is one of the weird Friday games. So my upset upset of the week pick is coming early. It's coming fast, and we're going to hit on it again. We're going to move to three and one on upsets of the week picks this week. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So my upset of the week, um, and I – Honestly, at first glance, I was like, "Nah, that's that's the wrong that's the wrong spread. That can't be right." Um, I've got NC State over Florida State. Somehow, Florida State is is a seven point favorite in this game. Uh, don't know how that happened uh, because the first time I looked at it, they were six point favorite, and now suddenly they're a seven point favorite. So apparently, we've had some more people betting on Florida State. That's how the lines move. Um, but Florida State's a joke. Come on. Uh, at this point, I'm really convinced that Willie Taggart's an undercover uh, Florida booster, and his destiny is just to burn Florida State to the ground. I mean, he hasn't done great things at all since he's been in this program. We know Jimbo <laughs> Fisher probably just quit recruiting when he knew he was out of the door. So, I mean, we can't chalk it all up to Willie Taggart being awful, but, I mean, Willie Taggart's awful. Let's, let's not beat around the bush there. So, I actually have Florida State winning this game, uh, even nice. though – I've been very critical of Willie Taggart. Uh, I NC State really has not impressed me. They they've played Easter like East East Carolina, uh, not great. Uh, they, they they played a team I don't think I've ever heard of in Western Carolina. That's that's great. Uh, I I don't understand why they're picking on the Carolinas like this. Great state of West <laughs> Carolina. Yeah, right. And then they played West Virginia and got smacked. Uh, it yeah, didn't look it's... great. And, and West Virginia is the same team that lost, by over, I think, 30 to Missouri and almost lost to Kansas last week. Oh, here you go with the That's, transitive property. That is terrible. And ball, and they played Ball State, who's one and three, with a win over Fordham. Great, great, great job. Great, great scheduling, NC State. So – I'm taking Florida State in this one. I don't think it's going to be a – I think it's going to be a close game. It's not going to be a blowout. But I think Cam Makers and Justin Blackman are going to make just just a few plays more than the NC State team is going to make. And Florida State is going to pull this out. The NC State quarterback is terrible. Matthew McKay, who's a sophomore, three touchdowns this year. That's it. He's thrown 143 passes but found the end zone once. Yeah, yeah, you're lucky that Mike Gundy's not his coach because he'd be screaming at you right now for calling this sophomore quarterback terrible. Yeah, yeah, he's a man. He is a man. <laughs> yeah, if you haven't figured this out, Zach and I know like two things about college football, and we just we reference them more than once. Um, okay, well, I guess Florida State wins this game. In your opinion, that's that's hot. Yeah, I think All they right. cover too. Wow, you think really? I think they'll win by seven. Personally. Okay. I, I think I think they'll I mean, do enough. Seven's the spread, I do. So that pushes, but. Well, okay, my bad. I thought the spread Eight, was under seven. When I when I looked, it was six. But if it's seven, it'll push. But I think they can pull it out. I, I think they might still have a chance to cover. Uh, even though, I don't know. You know. Do you remember as a kid? Okay, tangent, guys. When Dope Campbell Stadium used to be one of the coolest atmospheres. You turn on ABC primetime game six thirty. The whole crowd would be doing the little tomahawk BS, and yeah, Bobby Bowden would come out there. 
it was amazing. One of the coolest atmospheres. And now you turn it on and you can, you can count the people in the stadium on TV. <laughs> All six of them. I mean, come on, man. Like, I want the old Florida State back. I, as much as I, you know, am very critical of Florida State recently, especially Willie Taggart, it's because I want better for Florida State. Uh, I mean, it, it needs – they need improvement. I want them to have a future. College football is better when – Big-time programs are good. And so Florida State needs to figure it out and get fans in the stadium because that is pathetic. And if you're a Florida State fan listening to this, go to the game. I'll buy you a ticket. And, and you know, y'all are trash. So I know your tickets aren't expensive. Buy weird. a ticket and go support your team. Oh, my goodness. And, and that is the end of my rant. Okay. That was that was beautiful, Zach. Um, very well spoken uh, from the literary genius of our time. Um <laughs> Yeah, uh, so we haven't been doing – well, I haven't been doing too well at our upsets of the week, so I've been trying to – Because you're trash, too. Oh. You, can go, you, can go to, you can go to the Florida State game with the, all the trash fans. Yeah, so <laughs> now I'm upset. But, all right, you were on my hot seat. We don't even have a hot seat segment today, but you were on the hot seat with upsets of the week. God, just burying me, I guess. This is, I thought I was <laughs> – I'm already dead, man. You don't have to keep doing this. Oh man, jeez. Okay, well let's let's move on to our storyline of the week or story time or whatever <laughs> whatever this segment's called. It's something. Um, <laughs> it's your favorite segment of the week, guys. It's the best segment we have. I don't know if anyone else likes it, but we love it. So uh, let's go, Zach. Your storyline was hilarious. Um, let's go ahead and start with that. Okay, guys, so for my storyline of the week, in case you guys didn't watch one of the more boring games of the week in Southern Miss versus Alabama, a reporter caught two Alabama wide receivers playing rock, paper, scissors before a play. Jerry Judy, number four on Alabama, and Devontae Smith, number six, were caught after a timeout playing rock, paper, scissors, in which it looked like Jerry Judy won, while Devontae Smith ran to the other side of the field. So that got a lot of people wondering why were they playing rock, paper, scissors. As everyone know, Alabama is a factory. There's no room for rock, paper, scissors during a game. So during an interview, Henry Ruggs III, who's another wide receiver, number 11, was asked about the situation. So this is what he had to say. Shout out to Michael Casagrande from AL.com for letting us use this audio. But Henry Ruggs had a very, very interesting explanation about what happened. So check this out. But the video of uh, Jerry uh, Devonte maybe doing that paper rock scissors. What's that about? <laughs> that, that's funny. It's, it's just because I mean we got playmakers everywhere, and at any moment, you know, any guy can make a play. So once they got the play call, they knew, you know, like oh, this the route that's gonna catch the touchdown. So they rock paper scissors over who's gonna run that route. <laughs> you can actually do that in, in the game. You can kind of decide who's gonna be in what position. I mean. That's, that's just a testament of what we do. We all know every position. So at any moment, we can move around. We know I can go in the slide or Judy can go outside or, you know, something like that. So, you know, if they see a, a big route coming up, anybody, everybody wants it. So we all in the game. So they just, they rock, paper, scissors to see who's going to run it. Does it ever work? Um, I mean, I don't, I don't play it. I, I tell them to. If the coach tells me to go, you know, run it, then I'm going to run it. Did so, it ever work? Like one person? I mean, that was the first. That was the first uh-huh. time that we've done it. Well, that they've done it. So, I mean, they tried to get it with um, me and Devontae. That he tried to do it on um, the jet sweep that I ran, but I ended up I let him run one earlier that game, earlier in the game, probably that like first quarter. 
So I told him I was going to take this from regardless. What's you get that much. What's your go to rock, paper, or scissors? Say that again. What's your go to rock, paper, or scissors? Probably paper. <laughs> so they, they gave you that much freedom to, to decide among the receivers? I mean, the coaches trust us and we trust the coaches. So, I mean, they know that we know every position, like I said. So at any moment we can go anywhere and they, they trust that we know what to do and we can still make a play. Is there ever a situation where they would say, like, on this particular play I want you here or they give you the freedom to pass um, that out? Yeah, we do. We do have a, a certain time, you know, sometimes when – Say maybe it's a reverse or something, and they want me to run it. They'll tell me to go, hey, make sure you run it. Just so that that just blows my mind. I don't know about you, Brandon, but yeah, I I just I cannot believe it. I mean, that can't be allowed in big games, right? Like, they, there's no way they're playing Georgia and wide receivers are just out there playing rock paper scissors about like who's going where and what route to run and all that kind of stuff. I, I mean, like you said, I mean, I, I know that Alabama has probably the best wide receiving core in the country at this point. But I mean, how good do you have to be that every single wide receiver knows the, every single route so much so to the point where they can just basically gamble on who's going to, you know, get the score on this play. That's insane. How good do you honest, Honestly, I was that was the one thing I wasn't surprised about. Alabama's been so good for so long. It it wouldn't shock me if if the third string offensive tackle knew every single wide receiver route and what play to run it as and how deep to run it and how fast it needs to be executed. Yeah, that was very I mean, specific. Yeah, I mean, I, Nick Saban runs this thing amazingly, and that's why they've been so dominant. But, you know, he has like this dictator vibe where, you know, like it's, it, it's like a factory – and, you know, he'll call players out after they leave for the draft. Like, everyone says it's, it's a factory, and he has full control, and nothing's in or out, and he makes every decision, just like a dictator. But you're telling me that in a, in a real college football game, you know, the fourth game of the season, there's wide receivers out there playing rock, paper, scissors. That just shows how much talent they have, because, like, if Saban's allowing that, he knows how good they are. He's, he, he says, okay, so even if Southern Miss – you know, double like was allowed to have twenty four players on the field and double teamed every receiver. I still think they went forty nine to seven. I don't know if they went forty nine to seven, but they I mean, they definitely win. Um, yeah, I mean, and the fact that you know Rugs in his interview said we knew what route would score the touchdown. Are you serious? It's a science, apparently. Um, that that is you'd be good at it. You're and the then he, guy. So, and and then he talked about you know you know. Uh, Devontae Smith got an early jet sweep in the game. And, you know, he tried to fight Ruggs on the next jet sweep. And Ruggs pretty much told him, nah, man, you already had yours. This next one's mine regardless. <laughs> Are you serious? Like, like, okay, so you're playing Madden and you see the routes, you know, that the wire receiver can pick which way to go. I mean, could you imagine playing Madden? You have to do rock, paper, scissors before every play to see which wide receiver went where. Yeah, little known fact, uh, Zach and I do rock, paper, scissors before every segment to find out who's going to go first. <laughs> no, I, that just blew my mind. And I think it puts a whole I – put, I think it puts this program in a whole different perspective and shines a whole new light on it for me that that's how much trust these players have from these coaches. And I, I just – I can't believe they have that much talent where these – coaches that want so much control allow this to happen and I want to know if it happens in big games because if because I'll be going to the Iron Bowl this year and if I swear if I see someone playing rock paper scissors I'm going to lose it because that is ballsy 
I mean, could you imagine in the national championship, they were playing rock, paper, scissors, and Clips and was just like, what is going on here? And then I, I just don't, I don't understand how that became a thing. Like, did they ask his permission? Did, was it just something they did by themselves? Does, does Saban even really know? Does he know now? I just, I have so many questions and, this is such a unique story from college football because we, I don't think we've ever heard anything like this. No, I mean, but you know, besides Clemson, have we ever seen a team that's been as dominant as Alabama has been? I mean, that's had the no. talent that Alabama has. It, it's no. absolutely insane. I mean, you have to have the best of the best to be able to basically say, Hey, you know, you can have this route. You're going to score on this play. This is the route that's going to score. And, and that any of them can do it. I mean, that, that's just crazy. So, I mean, props yeah, to Alabama. That, it, that pained me to say, but props to Alabama. I loved it because it reminded me of, like, the old 80s, 90s, you know, University of Miami, because that sounds like something they would have done. Yeah, no. For sure. And I'd be shocked if they did it. But, you know, as an Auburn fan, I don't give Alabama props a lot. That's amazing. That was the coolest thing I've heard all, you know, football season. I love it. That's cocky. That's great. And it <laughs> yeah. works. They keep winning. So, it is what it is, in my opinion. I think I think that's insane. I thought that was the coolest story of the week. Yeah, I mean, we're big proponents of making football fun. So, I mean, any way that you can make football more fun, count me in because it is the most fun I can think of. Um, <laughs> let's go ahead and continue to my storyline of the week. Um, so, in case you didn't know, everyone needs to set their alarms for 6 p.m. on Saturday because this may be the biggest rivalry in college football. Yes, I'm talking about the civil conflict between UConn and UCF. Um, in case you didn't know or just didn't care enough to keep up with AAC football, civil conflict is the rivalry between UCF and UConn. Uh, and I know rivalry is a strong word for me to use here, but I guess let's <laughs> go with it. Uh, so this rivalry started in 2014 when the UConn coach at that point, Bob Diaco, um, after a win by UConn and his uh, postgame presser, decided that he was going to create this rivalry. Um, I don't know how good you think your team is. I, I think at this point, UConn was like one in five and uh, UCF was like four and two or something. Anyway, I don't know. I mean, UConn wasn't good. And as a matter of fact, this was their only in-conference win of the season. And this man goes, you know, I would actually really like to start a rivalry with UCF, not out of hatred, but out of respect for this program. Um, you know, and needless to say, UCF's been a perennial winner ever since. But the best part about this rivalry to me is that UCF does not recognize this game as a rivalry. I mean, I get it. You can't just go around declaring rivalries. Imagine if we did that in everyday lives. I mean, life would be total anarchy. <laughs> I mean, we're not going to. I love this story. I, I love this story so much. Every single year it rolls around, and I just, <laughs> I, I get goosebumps because I'm like, oh, yes, the civil rivalry. Oh, and by the way, don't try to Google civil, I mean, sorry, civil conflict. Don't try to Google civil conflict because uh, what comes up is the U.S. Civil War for whatever reason. Yeah, I guess that's the biggest in case, civil conflict in history. <laughs> just in case you guys didn't know, the coach got the trophy made at the same place that made employee of the month signs. That's, that's, I mean, that's bananas. He like, yeah, are it, you it, serious? Like you couldn't, you couldn't even splurge on this. Like go, go get you a nice trophy. Like, come on, man. To be fair. And this just, I guess, I don't know. Bob Diaco, Bob Diaco might be the most insane person in the world because 
he didn't get UConn to pay for this trophy. You know, he didn't get UConn to split the cost of UCF or anything. This man went out <laughs> on his free time and purchased this trophy. And he doesn't even <laughs> coach at UConn anymore. He coaches, he's a defensive coordinator for Louisiana Tech. But the trophy is still just in UConn's trophy room because UCF refuses to, you know, recognize this rivalry. So they never take the trophy when they win, which might be the best part in my opinion. I just – in case you guys didn't know, the first game between these two teams was in 2014. So this will only be like the fifth game of the series. I don't know if you guys know, but to have a rivalry, you need more than four games. And you can't just uh, declare a rivalry. Rivalries happen over time. Like, they legitimately grow out of hatred. I mean, think about Alabama-Auburn. Think about Michigan-Ohio State. Think about Texas-Oklahoma. I mean, think about the big rivalries. Their head coaches didn't win a game. Then in the postgame pressers say, you know, I think that we should start a rivalry out of respect for this other team. No, these fan bases hate each other. I mean, Iowa and Iowa State hate each other so much that they might not even play next year. <laughs> That's because apparently someone, like, what, like, assaulted their band or something, but then, like, nobody was actually hurt and – there's no Listen, evidence of it. This, okay, this is the. I guess this is the best segue into this into this storyline. This is gonna be an extra long storyline of the week, I guess. Um, so, in case you missed it, Iowa and Iowa State may be canceling future games against each other. This is one of the oldest rivalries in legitimate rivalries in sports. Um, you know, dating back to the 19th century. I mean, these teams have been playing since 1894, um, and because when an Iowa band member went to uh, Iowa State. Apparently, the band had, like, beers poured on them. Um, they said that they were physically assaulted. But, like, there's no evidence of this, first of all. Uh, and I'm not one of those guys <laughs> that's going to be like, hey, where's the evidence on every single thing? But, I mean, if you have a stadium filled with 60,000-plus people, you'd think you'd have at least one witness, right? And literally, they – interviewed people around the band that was with them from the time they got there to the time they left and no one gave the same story no it's, so it's it's like what are you even talking about <laughs> dude and shout out to this guy for being the biggest narc in the history of the world i mean you had to go and ruin a football rivalry are you kidding me he definitely got kicked out of school man i hope they charge him extra tuition yeah i, I hope they commit fraud on his behalf um, no kidding. What? A, uh, but mean, in ca- who does that? <laughs> in case you guys want to know, just a total side note, man. This podcast is somewhat organized. This is story time. So we just talked about UCF, UConn only playing four times. For reference, Auburn, Georgia has have played 123 times, and that's not either team's main rivalry game. <laughs> I need everyone to know right now that Zach didn't just look that stat up. Zach had that off the top of his dome. Uh, <laughs> Definitely. No, I'm serious. Like, did you look that up? No. <laughs> See, that's insane. What? You're an insane person, but I love and it. I, and if I if I remember right, it's like I think it's almost a hundred for Alabama. It's like I think it's like high eighties because there was like a big break in between the rivalry when Alabama wouldn't play Auburn because they were so tired of getting beat and they considered them a Cal college in the early 1900s, right when Bama was like at their prom. Auburn would came in and beat them like three straight times when they had John Hosman, and so Bama stopped playing them. Oh man, this is this uh, has become heck of a story time. But guys, we're going to go on one more tangent. 
I don't know if you guys saw this, and I need Brandon's opinion because we have not talked about this. We don't text a lot. We're both busy. Kind of, We're both I'm students. Of, I'm kind of worried what he's about to say, honestly. Yeah, so I don't know if you guys saw De'Aaron King for Houston. There was a report that he was going to take a red shirt this year because he's only played four games, and he wasn't. He was going to sit out the rest of the season so he could red shirt and that he would transfer. Oh, but on the contrary, guys. He is just sitting out this year along with, I believe, two or three other players to take the red shirt so they can wait till next year to see if the team's any better. I mean, it's it's a ballsy move. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to say I agree with it, but I mean, I mean. So that guy. brings us to that brings us to the debate of the transfer portal. Is it a good thing for college football? And is this going to be a common occurrence? Because I think if it is, there needs to be a rule where this can't happen. Like if you take a red shirt and you're not hurt, you're not getting proper playing time. Like I get it if you only played like in one game because of an injury and then like you got benched because the guy got back or you play like a quarter against Kent State. That's fine. I, I'm on board with you on that. But if you play – if you're a starting quarterback and you were the starting quarterback last year and you just are mad that you can't win a game, so you sit out and quit on your teammates just to get another another year of eligibility, I, I you have to transfer in my opinion. I mean, think about the seniors on that team who this is their last year and they don't have a red shirt to take. I mean, you're just going to give up on them? I just think that – I personally, I just think it was the weakest move of all time. And if I was Houston, I would just tell him to hit the road. No, I don't know how they didn't tell him that, you know, he wasn't welcome back. I mean, I don't know if they couldn't. I mean, they had to be able to do that. Uh, no, this is an absolute insane move by Derek King here. Um, you know, and the rule is you can play in four regular season games um, without you – know, and you're still able to take your red shirt. And that rule was made specifically, you know, you know, in the instance of, you know, your team plays, you know, four cupcakes in the beginning of the season or your quarterback's injured, your starting quarterback's injured, your starting whatever's injured, and you have to play a few games, but, you know, you didn't really use, you know, most of your potential. Um, so, yeah, you can take a red shirt. You know, if you play the first four games, you're the backup quarterback, you go in for, you know, the third, fourth quarter, you know, just one drive. But it's – I mean, he's taking advantage of the system. And I'm usually for taking advantage of the NCAA. I think that, you know, one of the most, I'm not going to say corrupt, but, I mean, there's been several instances in which the NCAA has been wrong about the way they treat players, the way they treat universities, uh, et cetera. But this is, I mean, this is just taking advantage of the system. Uh, I, I, you know, and to cap that off, I guess, I don't know how Houston allows this. Yeah, I, I think it just shows the culture. And I think – I, and personally, I'm just I'm going to be rooting against them next year. I hope they go 0 and 12. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I would love it. No, I need that now. Um, I'm going to hang my hat on that. I'm actually going to be dedicated to that one thing. Um, <laughs> I don't know what I have to do. I'm going to try out for a team or something. Uh, the worst team that Houston plays next season, and I'll make sure that they lose. Uh, I'm not very physically gifted. Uh, Yo, in case you guys didn't know, Brandon's the meanest long snapper from Southern Alabama. Hey, dog. You yeah, you know what's up. Um, yeah, but I, I, you know, I'll do everything in my power to keep them from winning any games. It's just ridiculous. I mean, and until um, until just recently, you know, we we thought that Derek King was going to be transferring schools. You know, 
like you normally would under these circumstances if you don't think your team's good enough to win. But he's just going to sit around and wait until his team is maybe better next year. What if he does this again? And, I mean, he can't. I guess he can't do it again. But no, he can't rush it again. But like they're one in three, and it's it, it, he's just like the team's not good enough. I'm gonna sit out. It's like, what if you're not playing well, bro? If you were so good, you guys went lost to Tulane. I mean, Tulane's good. Um, They're good, but, like, Houston shouldn't be losing to Tulane, to be fair. That's true. That's true. I mean, this is the same team that put up 31 points against Oklahoma. Yeah, at least he was motivated. I mean, he just gave up on his teammates, and he's blaming other people for him not playing well, too. Because, I mean, it's a team game. And, like, it's not like he was a Hosman frontrunner and his team just wasn't contributing. Like, I mean, I guess he played okay. But, I mean, he wasn't anything special. It's just like, man, come on. Like, this is – I don't know. It bothers me that like this has become the culture and uh, I don't know. I think it just makes it harder for people who really have issues and really need to transfer or sit out. It's just going to make it harder for them because the NCAA is going to snap back and respond and everything's going to hit the fan and he's going to make it harder for people in the future to handle their business. Yeah. And I don't know at what age, uh, you know, you can consider somebody an old man, but, Right now, this part of the storyline kind of sounds like an old man yells at cloud headline because we're just getting angry (laughs) at at things Uh, that don't affect us in the least. But uh, I guess 22 is that age where you get old. I'm not sure. Yeah, man. Like, I don't know. Being in grad school, man, I feel like I'm like 950. Like, I I feel like I'm going to – I'm on Social Security right now, to be honest with you. We just got Yoda over here. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, that's why that's why I'm so good at upsets of the week, man. I can like can go to see in the future. I never saw Star Wars to be like completely honest. So like, can he see into the future? Because if so, that explains my upsets of the week. Yeah, I'm not even gonna entertain that question. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well let's that that was a good story time storyline. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, this is okay. Well, let's continue on to Heisman watch now. Um, this is maybe. This is right on up there, in my opinion, with uh, with our playoff picture. Like, we started this entirely too early. <laughs> I mean, guys, this is this is the first ever season of this podcast. <laughs> We're at episode nine. Uh, give us some time. We will work out the kinks. But yeah, we'll give you we'll give you guys who I guess going into week five should win the Heisman. I don't know how much it counts. I mean. What was that kid's name? I think it was like, oh, man, was it Kyle Hill or something Hill? It was like, uh, no, Kenny Hill, Kenny Trill. If you don't, guys don't remember back in, I think it was 14. <laughs> he had a heck of like a first three games, and everyone was just trying to hand him the Heisman. And then he went to Alabama and threw like five interceptions and ended up getting benched for Kyler Murray his freshman year. Yeah. So we probably have a Kenny Trill in here somewhere, so just hold off on that. We'll we'll let we'll, we'll eat the words, you know, week nine, ten. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Let's go ahead. I'll, I guess we'll start from three and go to one. Yep. So at three, I have Tua Tagovailoa. Uh, he's played great, but I think his biggest drawbacks why I can't have him higher is he hasn't played anybody. They have played one of the weakest schedules I think in the country. I mean. You played Duke at a neutral site that was closer to you than Duke. Doesn't really count. And Duke lost a first-round quarterback who, by the way, murdered his NFL's first his first NFL start. And 
he played New Mexico State, Southern Miss, and I don't even remember the other game because it was trash. Oh, South Carolina. My bad. That's right. With a true freshman quarterback. You forgot the one conference game. <laughs> it was just ridiculous, man. Like, they don't play anybody. And like Brandon said, he has the strongest wide receiving core, in my opinion. They, they have the best wide receivers. All three of those wide receivers will be first-round picks, in my opinion. And will play in the NFL, and they'll be first picks in fantasy because they're going to be that good. I mean, he's thrown for th- 1,300 yards, 17 touchdowns, and no interceptions. I just want them to play somebody. That's my biggest gripe. They play Ole Miss, who I don't, don't even get me started. Just you can go ahead because I'm going to get heated again. This episode is going to be four hours long because I keep getting on rants about trash yeah. teams and trash Zach, fans, and Ole Miss is at the top. Yeah, Zach's getting upset that Alabama is playing two teams that they literally had to play this year. Like They, they didn't have a choice in the matter. Um, <laughs> yeah. All right, well – I think we had the same exact three in our, you know, if if I can see into the future like you think Yoda can. Um, I think we had the same three. I'm gonna switch it up uh, with my with my third place, and uh, in in the Heisman race right now, I've got Jonathan Taylor from Wisconsin. Jesus uh, I, Christ! Oh, come, okay, all right. Well, now now Zach's got me wanting to say something <laughs> because. <laughs> He wasn't in my list originally, but now he is. Um, I read an article today uh, from The Athletic. I mean, sick flex by me. I subscribe to The Athletic. Um, I mean, I looked at the votes right now. I mean, we have the people who vote for Heisman. They've already casted their votes through, like, through now. And I'm looking at the list right now of how many votes each person has gotten. Jonathan Taylor's only 20 votes behind Tua. I mean, he's not that far. Um, Plus, because I mean, the, the game against Michigan was great. I just I don't see how a running back is going to win it this year with the amount of quarterback talent. Zach and I agree with you. I mean, my original list was all quarterbacks, and I'm trying to switch it up. Let's make something <laughs> interesting. All right, all right. I got Jonathan Taylor, fantastic running back, going to win the Heisman. Maybe I don't. I don't know. All right, let's go on with my second pick. Um, I'm a real homer. I'm, for, I'm a real homer for this pick. We've got Joe Burrow. Uh, Joe Burrow looked very impressive last week against Vandy. I mean, as he has all season long. Uh, it's almost automatic for him. I mean, if he throws the ball, uh, he, you know, there's going to be a reception for 15 yards. There's going to be a touchdown on that drive. Uh, I, I was actually looking at stats today. Um, LSU is leading the SEC in passing yards. I mean, that doesn't really – that shouldn't surprise anybody. I mean, but the difference here is that, you know, I think Alabama's in second place. The difference is that LSU's actually played Texas. Uh, so they've actually played a decent team, whereas Alabama's, I think you know, their hardest team they've played is South Carolina. So, uh, I mean, to, <laughs> two is – They look- just got smacked. They got yeah. smacked last week. Yeah. I mean, oh. and not only that, but LSU has good receivers, but they don't have Henry Ruggs and Jerry Judy on their team. Um so Joe Burrow, he's going to come in the second for my, uh, for me. To be totally fair, I had him above Tua anyway. I just all I did was switch one person around. So all right, Zach, go ahead. Uh, here we go, guys. I've been I've changed his name, but he's not number one on my list anymore. No Jalen Hosman is second in my Hosman watch. Oh, that's nuts. It, I that's, just that's, this is insanity. This is animal. So, 
Ah, oh, man, this is about to, I'm, I'm like literally like my heart's breaking while I'm talking. I'm Zach about to cry. Like, like God, but Jalen Hosman has not played anybody, man. I mean, their competition has been just abysmal. It's down there with Alabama. Uh, I just, he hasn't played anybody in the bye week, Curtis stats, uh, 880 yards passing, nine passing touchdowns, four rushing touchdowns, 80% completion, but against who? You had Houston. Woo, we just we just talked about how great their culture and, you know, their team is. And then UCLA, who just allowed 63 to Washington State and a quarterback to throw nine touchdowns. Where, where was Jalen Hurts with that? And, I mean, they just have not played anybody. And it's heartbreaking. As much as I want him to win the Hosman, because it's such a great story, he doesn't first. There's been one player who's outplayed everybody, and I think it's obvious. And so, until Jalen Hurts plays somebody and gets some more stats up, and we see more of him, he's gonna he's gonna have to start coming down on my list. And so, I guess if we're crowning a Hosman winner in the Week Five, our Week Five Hosman winner is Joe Burrow from LSU. He has fifteen hundred yards passing, seventeen touchdowns, eighty percent completion, and only two interceptions. That beautiful. I I don't even know how you get better stats than that. I mean, that is, I I don't even know what to say. Like he has me speechless at how good he's playing. Because as you guys know, I was very 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 high on LSU, but uh, I I wasn't I wasn't sure how well Joe Burrow was going to play. But I I can't imagine that he's playing this well. I'm it. I I don't even have words for it, man. It, it's amazing because, I mean, he has 124 passing attempts and only two interceptions. That's, uh, that's outstanding and props to him. And if I, had to, if, I had to vote, if I had a vote for the Heisman, which I don't, guys, I'm not that famous. Not yet. Uh, jo- jo- Joe Burrow is getting my vote, and I don't even think it should be a debate at this moment of who should get the votes. Yeah, well, I mean, it's a good thing you don't get a vote. You have a lot of outrageous takes. Joe Burrow is a great quarterback. I'm not going to dog you too much for this one, especially since you know it just it made me feel nice and warm uh, hearing you say Joe Burrow is the best quarterback, the best player in the nation. Um, so, uh, I mean, I guess that only leaves one person for me. You know, to put was my favorite for Heisman right now, and that's Jalen Hurts, um, Jalen Heisman. Uh, I understand he had a bye week. I don't know how the bye week shifted your shifted you so much. Um, it, it okay. So the bye week isn't what shifted me. Did it just give you time to it's, think? Is that what it was? It gave, me, it gave me time to think, and I just looked at their <laughs> schedule and who they played, and it's been trash. And I, you know, you can't throw for fifteen hundred yards and seventeen touchdowns and not be the number one on the Hosman list. I'm sorry, you can, you cannot. He might I mean, not be a rushing about- threat. What about Washington State's quarterback who has like 19 touchdowns? You play in the Pac-12. You play in the Pac-12. Yeah, yeah, but with – I mean, come on. Uh, I'm not going to disagree with you here. It's just uh, I saw – I saw – you know, um, if if if, so if he keeps if he keeps going, I'm I will consider it because I don't care if you play, you know, in the Casper League where there's just you playing by yourself with the bunch the of Casper ghosts. League. I don't care, man. Like if you if, if if like he throws for like 60, 70, 80 touchdowns this year, he he deserves a Hosman. I don't care, man. I don't care if you're just doing a skeleton route seven on seven. That's a Hosman campaign. What? I don't even know what this show has turned into, but all right. <laughs> okay, well, there's our Heisman picks. Um, one last thing I'd like to mention, uh, you know, before we end this segment, I, I did read an article today, and I want to know what your opinion is on the sec. Um, I saw that one guy 
preseason, bet $50 on Joe Burrow to win the Heisman Trophy at 201 odds. So he could have won 10000 So he will win uh, $10,000 if Joe Burrow wins. Um, right now, the sports book that he placed the bet with is, is willing to buy that out for $1,800. No, keep what, that bet, bro. If you are listening, keep it. He will he he it, keep it because as the season goes on, it's going to just keep getting higher. They need to offer you more for that because no. there's a good chance that comes in. No, see what I would do um, if I were him, I would wait. LSU has a bye week this upcoming week. You don't, I mean, you don't uh, cash it in yet. You wait for the bye week to pass. After that bye week, LSU plays Utah State. You wait until Joe Burrow throws 12 touchdowns against Utah State, and he is just, I mean destined to win the Heisman and then they're going to offer you about six thousand dollars to buy it out you cash in your ticket right then before LSU has a chance to to crush this man's soul and demeanor nope no I'll tell you when to keep it keep it till after the Alabama game where he throws for four or five touchdowns and they beat Alabama because they will buy you a house for that ticket I mean I don't know how I don't, that would be cool if that's how it worked but I don't, I don't know that's how that works it is I, Put it down in y'all's books, bro. Get permanent marker and write that on your foreheads. That That's how it's going to end up. Okay. I mean, I, I certainly hope so. I'm not going to say that. No, I'm about to knock on some wood real quick. All right. So <laughs> let's, let's continue. Um, so that's our Heisman Watch uh, segment. And to cap off our show, uh, our last segment of the day is going to be Brandon's Gambling Corner. It was a hit last week. I'm not going to say we did well, but we didn't even talk about our picks. So uh, <laughs> that, that, should, that should tell you something if we didn't talk about it. Um, uh, yeah, and of course, this is the segment Zach teased uh, a couple episodes ago because I didn't win my upset of the week, but my team did cover. So he thought it would be funny to make a joke, and I made a whole segment out of it. Um, so here we go. Uh, Zach and I both have two picks. Let's cue up the music. Let's get that going. Uh, my first pick is going to be Kentucky. They beat South Carolina this weekend. Kentucky beat South Carolina in South Carolina. Uh, Kentucky has somehow fooled me into thinking they are a good team. Uh, I know South Carolina isn't good. Um, and when I first read this spread, because Kentucky's a three-point dog, I thought that that had to be a misprint. Um, I didn't think there was any way Kentucky comes to this game as an underdog. Uh, and as soon as I read that, I was like, okay, well, Kentucky's a lock for sure. Take them at the money line. Their money line is plus 140. They're going to win this game. That's how you that's how you make the most money off of this uh, this entire deal. In uh, my second pick, I've got Alabama Ole Miss. Don't bet on either one of these teams, but do bet the over. The over-under set at 61 points, and this – this is not just an ordinary bet for you guys. This is this is my automatic double lock of the year. The over-under is 61 points. I don't see a way that that doesn't hit. As a matter of fact, you'd have to be in a different universe for this not to hit. Neither one of these teams has a defense. Alabama might score 61 points on their own this weekend. So if you know what's good for you, bet this over. And while you're at it, maybe sprinkle a little bit of money on this Alabama 38-point uh, spread. I think Alabama beats Ole Miss by, I could see like 45 points. Uh, and like I said, my automatic double lock of the year. If you don't take this pick, you're a dummy. <laughs> yeah, guys. So my first pick, Kawhi over Nevada. Let's go. Don't say anything more. Nevada's a two and a half point favorite. Not a big, not a big money line. Take Kawhi. Always take Kawhi. Always take Kawhi. Could, 
Yeah, non 30 Central Hawaii, 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 guys. Second pick, North Texas over Houston. Uh, North Texas is a seven and a half point favorite. They are going to murder Houston. As we just talked about, starting quarterback, everybody out. Also, their coach is going to take a red shirt next. <laughs> take, North, take North Texas. Here we go. The, the money line is 310. North Texas all day. They're going to win by 100, 1,000, 10,000. Yoda says so. Go bet on Yoda North says so. Let's go. Uh, <laughs> in our chase game of the weekend, we have Arizona beating UCLA. This is the game that you bet on after you've lost your first 10 bets of the game. You're already down 10 units. What else do you have to lose? Bet on Arizona to win this game and bet on them to win big. Arizona's going to win this game outright. Don't bet on the spread. Don't be an idiot. Win this game at all costs. I mean, what else do I need to tell you? I think they're like 300. I think they're, plus, I think they're minus 300 on their money line. That doesn't matter. You need to win this game. This is really a morale booster, if nothing else. You're not even trying to win money on this one. Bet Arizona. UCLA cannot pull out a win two weeks in a row. Chip Kelly is trash. Also, bet the over. The over is 70 and a half. It sounds wild. Bet the over. Just bet it. Just don't question me. I, I swear to God, do not question me. Bet the over. And that is a wrap on the gambling that, corner. We'll fight you. We'll fight you. <laughs> All right. And that was our gambling corner. Uh, maybe one of our more electric uh, segments. I don't know if it's a good segment. I enjoy it because I get a scream. I get to uh, make outrageous picks. And really, we just get to ignore these picks if they lose. So, I mean, it's really a win-win for us. Yeah, we're, we're playing with Monopoly money, to be completely honest with you guys. Like, I mean, we're not betting we're tell- we're, Yeah, Yeah, like, you know, we both retire from gambling. You know, technically, I can't even gamble because of my job. But, you know, I hope we don't have any <laughs> no snitches here. But we'll see, guys. We'll see. Yeah, hopefully that guy from uh, – hopefully that guy in the band from Iowa is not listening, that narc. Right? Dude, I mean, he's already wrote his letter, man. He's emailing, he's emailing my advisor. He's emailing the department head, everything. It's, it's a wrap for me. I'm going to get kicked out of school. All right, well, not only is that a wrap for Zach, that's a wrap for this episode. Um, I think this is a pretty good episode, good preview episode. I feel like our preview episodes um, are a lot less stiff than our recap episodes, and we're going to try to work on that for sure. Yeah, guys, so uh, shout out to all our listeners, man, especially the two we have, the, the few we have in Canada. Shout out to you guys. I don't know how you found two, you know, kids from Southern Alabama's podcast. Shout out to you guys. Tell all your friends. We love Canada. I plan on coming very soon. Um, yeah, I'm going to go and quote Zach here. Tell your friends, tell your ex-girlfriends, uh, tell everyone you know. Tell your step parents. T- t- tell like your parent that's not your step parent. I don't even care, man. Tell tell your tell your side host everything, whatever you want to do. <laughs> like we're going all out on this episode, but make sure to tell everyone you tell to follow us on social media. It is at the underscore blue bloods on Instagram. You know, you guys have been really great. Our, our followers increase every day. We post awesome stuff on there. You guys seem to enjoy it, so. Keep up with all that stuff, man. We post it on there all the time. Uh, we also have a Facebook page. It is at the Blue Blot, the Blue Bloods Pod. The Blue um, Bloods, yeah, <laughs> yeah. The the Blue Bloods were taken, but we're getting the Facebook up and running. So uh, we're going to be posting a lot of stuff on there as well. And then, of course, we got the dreaded calculus page that took I our ad name. Yeah, uh, Twitter's you know. 
Twitter is what it is. It is at the underscore underscore blue bloods. Uh, we post on there as well. Uh, also make sure if you, if you listen on Apple podcasts, leave us a review, man. Uh, let us know what you think. Uh, it always helps to have good reviews. Um, I hope you guys are enjoying what we're putting out. You guys seem to be, so definitely let us know. Um, and, you know, shout out to you guys for being the best fans. Uh, and we have a lot more stuff coming for you guys. You know, as as you guys know, we're both students. We're working on this really hard. So we're coming out with merch. We're coming with new content. We're coming with new ideas. So just be on the lookout. Follow our social media and just stay up to date with everything we got coming. Yeah, for sure. Uh, be on the lookout for our recap episode coming out. It's going to come out on Monday morning um, after this week's slate of games. Uh, in that episode, you know, we're going to touch on our picks. We're going to touch on a few other things, uh, maybe some new segments. Uh, we seem to like to do that. So just be on the lookout for that. Um, but in this episode, for now, is a wrap.